Good morning, Castle Hill Church, and welcome to today's service. It's a beautiful day to rejoice in God's message. I would like to say happy Sabbath to everyone, wherever you are. We are missing you all, and I can't wait for the day that we can worship together once again as a church family. Today we have Pastor Pablo preaching on the fly too. Now, my dear kid, how is your Sabbath today? Yeah, my lovely wife, my Sabbath is wonderful. I'd like to say God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. I'd like to take a moment to thank everyone for their prayers during the past few turbulent months with my health and loss of my job. God has truly blessed my family and myself over these past seven months. Sometimes we take God for granted. During the good times, not realising that it is the small things that can be the most rewarding from a simple phone call to a message of support. Over the past few months especially, I have seen God working within my life. I'd like to say, again, God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. Some time ago, I caught a flight to the Cook Islands to visit a dying friend. Richard Rodenko drove me to the airport that Sabbath evening. Uh, when I fly, I like to eat, watch movies and rest. It was a 7.30pm flight and I'd had a big Sabbath day so I was tired and my prayer on the plane was, Lord, please put me in a seat next to nobody around me. Please make sure that no one talks to me, no one bothers me. All I want is great food, a movie to watch and then to get some sleep. You probably know how God responds when we offer those prayers to God. Uh, he, he wants us to actually pray the opposite. He wanted my prayer to be, Lord, please put me beside someone who needs to know about the love of Christ. So on the flight, I had uh, the window seat, the seat next to me was spare, and then the aisle seat, there was a beautiful looking woman. She actually looked like a model, and I thought she was for a little while. I acknowledged her with a smile. I said, hi, my name's Pablo. She smiled back, but didn't give me her name. I was fine with that. I buckled in. <clears throat> the plane taxied up the runway, and off we went. About 40 minutes into the flight, we were served dinner. I watched a movie while we were eating. And after dinner, the stewards came to collect all the plastic containers and so on and offered refreshments. An hour later, people were passing by and greeting me. Before I knew it, at least 20 people had dropped by and called me by name. They said, hi, Pastor Pablo, it's nice to see you. I couldn't believe it. Where were all these people coming from? After the 21st greeting or so, I stopped the person and asked them how they knew me. <clears throat> the response was, we're from the Cook Islands Church in Sydney. We, all, we know you from your Pathfinder work and youth ministry work in Greater Sydney. And we're on a way to a wedding in the Cook Islands. There's 50 of us. And when we saw you on board, we were so happy that you were coming to the wedding with us. I said, no, 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 I'm going to visit a dying friend, someone who's very unwell. Soon afterwards, a lady sitting next to me turned towards me and said these words. The last thing I wanted in life was to sit next to a pastor, especially on this flight. 
Why is that, I asked. I was shocked, was my response. Uh, so Miranda introduced herself to me and started to tell me her life story. She always went to church as a kid and loved it. Then she went to university and later started a very successful business. She'd never surrendered her life to Jesus and wasn't baptised and walked away from God while she was at university. She, ab she stopped going to church altogether. And Miranda travelled a lot and loved to take control of her own life. She had three children and an okay marriage. So once she said an okay marriage, I asked her about her marriage. She said that her husband Mark absolutely adored her. He did everything for her, everything for the kids, their education. Uh, he always provided for them and even though she had a successful business, he looked after the bills. Then I asked her why she was travelling to the Cooks. That's when the conversation changed. There was silence. She reminded me of what she'd said previously. You can see it on the screen. The last thing I wanted in life was to sit next to a pastor, especially on this flight. Yes, I'm listening, I said. Well, I'm on a flight for the wrong reasons, said Miranda. I'll be catching up with a man I met only a few weeks ago in Sydney and we're going to spend three days together. I was a little shocked and I couldn't let this one go by without more discussion so I said, but didn't you just tell me that you were married with three children? Yes, she answered. Didn't you tell me that your husband adored you and do anything for you and your children? Yes, she responded. There was dead silence once again for about a minute, which seemed like an eternity, and I was comfortable with that. And as she tried to find the right words, I could see the tears streaming down her eyes. Yes, she said, I've always held back from loving my husband. I'm still looking for happiness and fulfilment. I'm always looking for more in life. So Miranda shared of her wanting more out of life. And even though she had a loving husband who did everything for her, adored her, trusted her, it wasn't enough for her. Do you know why I still remember this encounter? I remember it because it illustrates for me a single potent truth that plays out in two very different ways. How do we respond to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? How we do it? puts us in one of two different seats. Seats that move us towards two very different, different destinations. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, and I love this, it says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. And then it says, always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect. Now, I love the first part of that verse. The Message Bible puts it this way. <clears throat> Through thick and thin, keep your hearts at attention in adoration before Christ, your Master. Through thick and thin, keep your hearts at attention in adoration before Christ, your Master. Wow. Wow. We all need 
a holy, humble heart for, the, for Christ as Lord. And Peter gives us a picture of the heart over which Christ rules. It reminds me of uh, Matthew 6.33 that says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well or added to you. When Christ is Lord, he's king of your life. And when he's king, you don't have to worry about what you eat or what you wear. When you put him first, he'll take care of you. Somehow, though, we tend to get all of this messed up, just as Miranda did on the plane some years ago. We want to take control of our lives. And in doing so, too often we lose our integrity, our purpose, direction and our values along the highway of life. When you and I are in the driver's seat, we tend to lose control of our lives. We think that if we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, he'll make us do the things that we detest the most. So we refuse to surrender. We choose what's best for us. Our desires lead us and we surrender to ourselves instead of Jesus Christ. So we don't surrender because we can't keep the Sabbath or we don't want to. We don't want to tithe. We don't like the health message. We don't like the Ten Commandments. And Christianity all of a sudden becomes too hard for us. And in this passage, Peter gives us a biblical snapshot of the joy-filled, surrendered heart. He pictures for us the devotion of a life in which Christ rules as Lord. Did you know that to revere Christ as Lord makes, takes personal devotion in your life? It takes time on your knees. It takes time in devotion. It takes time alone in deep thought and meditation in the Word of God. I found a definition of revere. To regard with reverence or profound respect and affection, mingled with awe or fear, to honour in estimation. I believe that there is absolute excitement in having respect and admiration for the things of God. And this passage helps to explain how the contemporary church today got where it is today. This passage helps to explain why the world is in the mess that it's in today. People follow whoever barks the loudest in the media, regardless if they're right or wrong. And Peter insists that every Christian man, woman, teenager, child is to give Jesus a special place in his heart. Paul House, in his book, Who Will Be Saved, says this, Clearly, many Christians have not embraced the fact that Christians must be committed to Christ and his teachings. They may have mentally assented to certain gospel facts, joined a church, repeated a prayer, walked forward at an evangelistic meeting, but by any biblical measurement, they were never converted there was no transforming conviction of sin, no repentance, no commitment to Christ's lordship, no love for those who love Christ. Now, I'm not saying that everybody is in the boat, the same as Paul has written, but maybe some of you 
have lived this life before. The word translated revere means to turn everything over to Christ. Here you go, Jesus. I give you everything. To answer yes is Jesus, Lord of your life, means that you have allowed Christ to rule in your heart, that you have given him free, you have given him free access to every area of your life, every file in your heart, soul and mind. It means you've given Jesus free access to your iPhone, your iPad, your computer, your desires, your thoughts, your relationships, your children's lives, your marriage. It means that if anything in your life conflicts with who Jesus is and what he stands for, then God will reveal that to you. That you will repent of it and you will say with passion, I want to please God more than anything else. To call Christ Lord means to fear displeasing God and Jesus. It means that you fear displeasing him infinitely more than you fear what men and women might think of you or what you do. You know, when you submit to the Lordship of the Jesus Christ, your life will look distinctly different from the men and women around you who don't belong to Christ. It means that you live your life to honour him, acknowledge him as Christ and the only one in your life. You give him first place. The Bible uses reverence and fear interchangeably. To revere God is to fear him in the fullest sense of the word. To simply respect him is not enough. We should fear to disappoint him because he's our God and he's worthy of our time and worship. In Old Testament covenant law, the Israelites were commanded to have a reverence for the sanctuary of God and for God himself. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling, it says in Psalms 2.11. Psalms 5.7 says this, but as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house. I will worship at your temple with deepest awe. Wow. And here's how the Message Bible puts it. And here I am, your invited guest. It's incredible. I enter your house. Here I am, prostrate in your inner sanctum. Reverence for God is also exp expressed through obedience to him. I don't know if you've ever really looked at what Hebrews 11:7 says. And it tells us, by faith, Noah been warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household, in reverent fear. The New King James Version says it like this, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, 
moved with godly fear. I love that. Moved with godly fear. When was the last time you moved with godly fear when you heard God speak to you, when you spent time in worship? And so reverence for God is also equated with wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing God gives us knowledge. Um, Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It makes us wise. Many people are smart, well-educated and knowledgeable about many subjects, yet they can totally be ignorant, ignorant about what matters most because they don't know or fear God. The world wants educated people, but God wants the educated and the uneducated who choose to revere him to change the world by their love, their peace, honour and servanthood. Proverbs 16.6 says, It keeps us from evil. By fearing the Lord, people avoid evil. A deep reverence for God produces a desire for righteousness and a hatred for sin. Proverbs 14.26 says, In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. Boldness comes as a result of living in absolute dependence of God. How many people do you know that are so wishy-washy with their lives? There's no boldness. They can't stick to the laws of God and what God wants them to do. Proverbs 14.27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. And when we reverence and exalt God, we'll understand that he's in control of our lives, watching over us and guiding our path. We have purpose, direction and peace. And Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. The verse isn't speaking about our physical life, but a spiritual life. And so many people are looking for happiness, peace and joy. But they're turning away from God, who's the only one who can provide those things. The wisest decision that we can ever make is to fear the living God by honouring him, obeying him, exalting him, worshipping him, trusting him for our salvation. So for the next few hours, Miranda and I talked about life, family and God. She opened up more about her life and her fears. And I described to her how Jesus changed the world and how he could change hers. As we were preparing for the landing, I said to Miranda, before you get off this plane, you need to get right with God. Surrender your life over to him. Revere him. And I said to her, you need to ask Jesus to forgive you for where you drifted in life. Don't waste three days of your life chasing an elusive dream. I said to her, go home to your husband and make things right. Find a church where you can worship God with your family. She quickly grabbed my hand and I was startled. And with tears in her eyes, she asked me to pray for her, for God to give her strength to her bones. I asked for God 
to put her on a flight straight back to Sydney as I finish that prayer. Surrender your life to Jesus. You'll find everything you ever wanted in him. You know, while I was in the Cook Islands visiting my dying friend who passed away a few weeks after I went back home, while I was on the island, I dropped by to the resort where she was staying or meant to be staying and I dropped in for lunch and I thought, hmm, I'll find out if she's here or not. And so I went up to the reception desk at the entrance and I said, oh, I'm looking for such and such person. I'm her pastor from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The man behind the, the counter said, oh, my uncle's a Seventh-day Adventist, sure, let me have a look. And the man said she paid a deposit but never checked in. As I finish up, I want to share with you a story of a pastor who started working in a new area, a new parish in a country area. At one of the first homes he visited, the wife was away, so he could only talk to the husband. And when the wife returned, she probed her husband about the nature of the new pastor's visit. What did he say, she asked. He asked, does Jesus live here? The husband replied. Well, surely you told him we are the church's biggest supporters. He didn't ask that, the husband replied. He only asked, does Jesus live here? Well, you must have told him that we read our Bibles and say our prayers every day. He didn't ask that either, the husband repeated. He only asked, does Jesus live here? Well, you must have told him that we always give and collect money for the Adra appeal. He didn't ask that either, the husband replied. He only asked, does Jesus live here? Well, you must have told him that we deliver food once a month to people in need. He didn't ask that either, love, the husband repeated. He only asked, does Jesus live here in your home? Well, did you tell him that we attend church every Sabbath? We turn up to Sabbath school on time and we sit up the front and we give our tithes willingly? His wife persisted. He didn't ask that. He only wanted to know, does Jesus live here? And that's all God wants to know. Does Jesus live in your heart? Do you revere him? Does he take first place in your life? Is he the first one you call when you're in need? Today, I invite you to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to revere him, to love him, to honour him, regardless of your situation. I invite you to join me for prayer. Heavenly Father, I completely surrender all my life to you. I adore you for you are mighty and all-powerful, worthy of all my praise. As I stand in worship before you, Lord, sometimes I'm so overwhelmed by what is going on around me that I'm lost for words. Help me, Almighty God, to always think good thoughts, even when the pressure is on, and this will magnify and glorify you. I pray, Father, that when temptation comes my way, the Holy Spirit will guide me and help me to triumph over whatever situations I face.
I thank you for the opportunities I have to live for you and you only and to walk in complete obedience. Heavenly Father, today I want to pray for Eric and Colleen White, Bill and Heather Webster, Erna Johnson, Russell Duncan, Nanette Boylo, Bob and Margaret Smith, Jose and Joshua, our Bible study groups, Year 12s who are entering exams soon, our pastoral team, our leaders here, our pathfinders and adventurers, governments as they make decisions. Lord, by the working power of the Holy Spirit, I know that all I need to do is to call on the beautiful, sweet-sounding name of my Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Thank you for that privilege. Amen.